This morning, we sustained unanimously Harold B. Lee to what I believe is the highest office in the world, the earthly president of the Church of Jesus Christ. I have known this great man longer, possibly, than any other one of the general authorities. I honor him. I have admired him since we were boys together over 50 years ago. With all my heart, I love and sustain him as a prophet of God, as an inspired leader, ideally qualified to lead the Church of Christ in our difficult day. May God inspire us as members of the Church with wisdom to follow his noble leadership. I seek an interest in your faith and prayers that my brief message, which is directed primarily to non-members of the Church, or at least to those who are not yet members, might bring help and conviction to their souls. While Saul was on the road to Damascus, he was stopped by a heavenly vision and a voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Saul responded with these momentous words, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? To which the Lord responded by sending Saul to see one of his authorized servants to receive direction and a blessing. A man can ask no more important question in his life than that which Paul asked. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? A man can take no greater action than to pursue a course that will bring to him the answer to that question and then to carry out that answer. What would the Lord Jesus Christ have us do? He has answered that question by saying, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And he has said, Therefore what manner of men ought ye to be? Verily I say unto you, Even as I am. Christ then has set us the example and what we should be like and what we should do. While many men have admirable qualities, there is only one man who ever walked the earth who was without sin, whose father of his physical body was God the Father, and who had the power to resurrect his own body. This Jesus is our exemplar and has commanded us to follow in his steps. God the Father has given Jesus Christ a name above all others, so that eventually every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the light. And no one can come back into the presence of our Father in heaven except through him. Christ is God the Son and possesses every virtue in its perfection. Therefore, the only measure of true greatness is how close a man can become like Jesus. That man is greatest who is most like Christ, and those who love him most will be most like him. How then does a man imitate God, follow his steps, and walk as he walked, which we are commanded to do? We must study the life of Christ, learn his commandments, and do them. God has promised that to follow this course will lead a man to an abundant life and a fullness of joy and the peace and rest which those who are a heavy burden long for. To learn of Christ necessitates the study of the scriptures and the testimonies of those who know him. We come to know him through prayer and the inspiration and revelation which God has promised to those who keep his commandments. 
And how do you learn the commandments? You learn the commandments through the words of the Lord in the scriptures, through the revelations received by his authorized servants, the light of Christ, like a conscience that comes to every man, and through personal revelation. It is significant that when Paul asked the question, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That Christ directed Paul to one of the Lord's authorized servants. So it was with Cornelius, who after prayer was instructed to send men to contact Peter. It has always been so, that whenever God has had his prophets upon the earth, men could go to them to learn of Christ and his commandments. The inspired words of these prophets, when written down, became scripture. And whenever God has his representatives on the earth, there is always new revelation and new scripture. Only when men became so corrupt that the prophets were taken out of their midst did scripture cease. And God stated that only through his authorized representatives could men receive the ordinances essential for the salvation and the commandments necessary for the perfecting of his children. Speaking to his prophets, the Lord said, He that receiveth you receiveth me. Always the words of the living prophet took precedence, for it was God's message to the people at that particular time. Had any man accepted the ancient scripture in the days of Noah, but refused to follow the revelation that Noah received and failed to board the ark, he would have been drowned. Always the words of the living prophets are of the most vital concern to the people. And always if a man would know of Christ and learn of his commandments so that he can obey them, he must seek to find his authorized representatives. For centuries, because of the wickedness of men, prophets of God no longer walked the earth. So scripture ended with the last words in the New Testament. Confusion and contention reigned in so-called Christendom. For all they had was the ancient scripture, but they were without the prophets of God to explain it to them and to receive new revelation, new scripture, and to be authorized to direct the work of the ministry. But in 1820, the greatest single event since the resurrection of the Christ occurred. God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, personally visited the young boy by the name of Joseph Smith who had been praying to know which church to join. God our Father spoke to the lad and said, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. God the Son told Joseph Smith not to join any of the churches. Joseph was to learn that the Lord's true church was not on the earth, and that living prophets of God who were the foundation of the church had not walked the earth for centuries, and that with their death the rock of revelation on which the church was built ceased, and so there was no new scripture. Eventually to Joseph Smith appeared the men who were the last authorized servants to direct the church of Jesus Christ, Peter, James, and John. These glorified beings ordained Joseph Smith with the same authority they had received from Jesus so that once again there was a prophet of God on the earth who could say, Thus saith the Lord. And Joseph Smith ordained others with the authority which he had received. And so the church of Jesus Christ was restored. 
in these latter days, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, commonly known as the Mormon Church. In due time, another heavenly messenger came to Joseph Smith to tell him that God was about to give to the earth a scriptural account of the early inhabitants of America, like the Bible is a scriptural account that covers the other side of the world. This American scripture that was translated by Joseph Smith through the inspiration of heaven is called the Book of Mormon. It tells, among other things, of Christ's personal appearance to his children here in America after his resurrection in Jerusalem and of his instructions to them. The mission of the Book of Mormon is to be a companion volume with the Bible, to serve as a second witness that Jesus is the Christ, to show that God loves one nation as another, and to reduce contention by making clear many of the doctrines that have confused Christendom. Joseph Smith received many revelations from Jesus Christ, as have the prophets who have succeeded him, which means that new scripture has been given. The Lord's mouthpiece and his prophet on the face of the earth today is President Harold B. Lee, who received his authority through a line of prophets going back to Joseph Smith, who was ordained by Peter, James, and John, who were ordained by Christ, who was and is the head of the Church, the creator of this earth, and the God before whom all men must stand accountable. Now this marvelous message that God has spoken to prophets in our day and reestablished his churches for all the world, it is a world message. When Nathaniel questioned Philip, telling him that he had found Jesus, Philip responded by saying, Come and see. So do we respond. Come and see. Men can deceive you, but God will not. If you sincerely desire to know of the truthfulness of this message, then make it a matter of fervent prayer. Study it out, test it out, and God will let you know. Would you like to know if Joseph Smith was a prophet of God and if the Book of Mormon is scripture sent from God? Then put it to the test. Read the Book of Mormon, and near its close you will find a promise that is given to everyone who reads that volume. And this is the promise, that if you will ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, if this book is true, and if you will ask with a sincere heart, with real intent having faith in Christ, then our Heavenly Father will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. This is the challenge and the test. I testify to you that I have read the Book of Mormon, that I have put it to the test, and that God has revealed unto me the truthfulness of this added volume of Scripture and revealed unto me that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God and that Harold B. Lee is his prophet and representative and stands today as the earthly president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the one man on the earth who holds the keys of God's kingdom as Peter did anciently. Let me ask, do we need a true prophet of the Lord on the earth today? Did the people in Noah's day need a prophet to warn them spiritually and temporally? 
Had a man refused to follow Noah, would he have been saved from the flood? Yet the Bible tells us that in the last days in which we live, the wickedness of the people will become comparable to the wickedness of the people in Noah's day when God cleansed the earth by flood. Do you think we need a prophet today to warn us and prepare us for the cleansing which God promised will come, this time by fire? Men's hearts are failing them, spiritually and temporally. Is it of interest to you to know that God has revealed many things for your blessings? He has revealed to a modern prophet a law of health. If obeyed, it promises that a man can run and not be weary and walk and not faint. Do you think men would despair so much or commit suicide if they knew through latter-day revelation about their pre-existent state, where they came from, why they are here, and where they are going, and the great possibilities that lie in store for them? With the satanic attempts to break apart the family and create disunion and strife in the home, would you be impressed with a program inaugurated by a modern prophet of God some 50 years ago called the Home Evening Program? This one-night-a-week program brings together all the members of the family for some spiritual and character guidance, a discussion of family goals and plans, a display of family talent, and games and refreshments. The Church distributes to its members a yearly manual with suggestions for this home evening program. Those members who diligently hold these home evenings are given a promised blessing by a prophet of God of what will result. Listen to this promised blessing. Love will grow between family members. Harmony in the home will increase. Faith will develop in the hearts of the children, and they will gain increased power to overcome the evils of the world. Would you like that blessing for your home? Would you be interested to know that by Latter-day Revelation the Lord has said that marriage is ordained of God and that a couple married in one of our temples by those who hold authority to bind on earth and it will be bound in heaven can be married not till death do you part? But for time and all eternity, would you like the assurance that comes to that couple that if they and their children are faithful, they shall continue together as a family unit in the next life? Are you concerned about the increasing subversion in this blessed country and other countries of the free world and the spread of wickedness by a giant conspiracy? Would you be interested in reading the Book of Mormon that records the downfall of two great ancient American civilizations as a result of internal secret conspiracies and contains a warning to us today that when we see these conditions in our midst that the Lord commands us to awake to our awful situation. With the increasing amount of aid and trade which we are providing the enemy of freedom, you might be interested to know what the Book of Mormon says will happen to a nation that upholds this conspiracy. Would you like to know of the warnings of the prophets about our increasing descent down the soul-destroying road of socialism and what they have told us to do about it. Jesus knew of the calamities that would befall the world, which is one of the reasons why he gave revelations to Joseph Smith and other prophets. Would you like to know of a program, which we have had for many years, of instructing our members to have on hand 
at least a year's supply of food, clothing, and where possible fuel, and of getting out of financial bondage? And did you know that God is giving His Church direction to make it independent of the world? These and many, many more revelations of great blessings and help for today, with programs of preparation for tomorrow and eternity, are available now through the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. What manner of men are we to be? Verily, even as Jesus Christ. To be like him, we must study his life, learn his commandments, and do them. That is the pathway to joy and abundant and eternal life. Prophets of God have known him. They have told us of him and of his commandments. They have been sent of God and through revelation have instructed us in the way we should go. There is no more crucial question that a man should be constantly asking than that which Paul asked, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? There is no more essential answer than that which he received of going to those who are authorized by the Lord to give directions. Come, listen to a prophet's voice, and hear the word of God. And in the way of truth, rejoice and sing for joy aloud. We found the way the prophets went who lived in days of yore. Another prophet now is sent, this knowledge to restore. May I invite you to further investigate the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, to read the Book of Mormon. There are representatives of the Church in your general area who, without any obligation on your part, will be happy to come and tell you about the Church. You are welcome to attend our meetings. If you would like some free literature or additional information, feel free to write us at our headquarters by simply addressing us in Salt Lake City. And now may I leave you my witness that I know that God lives. He is not dead. That God loves His children. That we are all brothers and sisters children of the same Father and the Spirit, that he blesses us and wants to bless us further. And to that end, he has established his church and sent his prophets. Today, that church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And his prophet and mouthpiece is President Harold B. Lee, I know this as I know that I live, and bear this testimony humbly and gratefully in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Apostle James said, Pure religion undefi and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows, in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. The Apostle Paul said, By love serve one another, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He further said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though, though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I, that I could remove mountains 
and have not charity, I am nothing. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. With these scriptures as background, I should like to share with you some experiences of some wonderful groups of unheralded workers who have made these teachings live in their lives. May I introduce the first group to you. They are known as health missionaries, doctors and nurses who have responded to the same missionary call as have thousands of proselyting missionaries, not only, not rece- uh, not only receiving not one cent of compensation, but paying their own expenses. In each case, they labor under the direction of the mission president. From Guatemala, a lady health missionary reports, the primary children were given a lesson on the basic three food groups. After the flip chart lesson, we played a game with them. They were asked to place foods in the groups where they belonged. Then we gave them a plate and asked them to prepare us a meal, either breakfast, lunch, or dinner, using food from the basic three. This same health lesson has been given to investigator families as well as member families. You'll be interested to know that approximately 50% of the children in these Indian villages die before reaching the age of five. Malnutrition complicated by respiratory infection and diarrhea is the underlying cause. Speaking of midwife lessons, this health missionary says, we will give classes on this subject, delivering babies, in Relief Society so our ladies can benefit from it. Through the working with the Relief Society, we can develop the health program more. The ladies can depend on each other for help. We give them health concepts, then they teach their families, sisters in the church, and their neighbors. We know the health program will work through these organizations as planned. Two, we hope to work with the families through the Family Home Evening Program. From Apia, Western Samoa, comes a report from a medical doctor, another health missionary. At our conference this round, we are again stressing the importance of food and cleanliness, but in addition, we are encouraging each family to maintain a continually growing food supply. We have indicated to them that each family should have a certain quantity of various foods growing, and as these are used, they should be replaced. We are also encouraging them to try growing their own vegetables, and as a demonstration, we plant a small garden plot at each conference with tomatoes, cabbage, and so forth, and leave it for the branch to keep up. Extra plants are given to the members who are interested in growing their own. From the Philippines comes a report on the problem of the recent catastrophic flood and the help the health missionaries provided. On and on it goes, from Peru, Tonga, Guatemala, Uruguay, Paraguay, Colombia, Bolivia, Nicaragua, Honduras, Mexico, Brazil, and in the future from Hong Kong, Korea, Taiwan, and many other countries of the world. Now let us see what is happening in the lives of people because of a second group of workers, those involved with the social services phase of the work. This is the case of a 17-year-old unwed mother. This young lady came from a good act of Mormon family. The lines of communication had broken down between parents and daughter. She was in serious trouble with the pregnancy and was on the verge of compounding the problem in such a way as to further jeopardize any possibility of a happy, successful life when one of the dedicated staff workers became involved. 
Through extra effort and wise counseling, he was instrumental in saving her from falling off the precipice. He helped, her open, the cha- he helped open the channel of communications be- between mother and daughter. And now, some years later, this same young woman, through repentance and forgiveness and wise counsel, is happily married to a fine husband and is doing her part to help her neighbors. Instead of failure, she is now experiencing joy and peace of mind through living a worthwhile, fulfilling life. Under the direction of of social services, men and women in prison are visited by home teachers. They hold a regular home evening attended by the home teacher's family, the prisoner's family, and the inmate. The example of love shown by the home teachers to home teaching family along with the evidence of sincere interest has performed miracles in the lives of many of these men. Home teaching couples are spending hundreds of hours visiting not only in prison but visiting drug and alcohol rehabilitation centers. They have gone into lonely one-room apartments to help an alcoholic sober up and have done much more in helping in his rehabilitation. Another important area of the service has been to do, has to do with foster homes. Over 4,000 families have opened their homes to Indian students. Because these families give freely, this service carries with it that most important gradient of home love. Now let us examine what happens in the lives of people when the third group becomes involved. They are largely concerned with the temporal or financial welfare. This is a large group of dedicated men and women. You might say... This group is composed of all of the members of the Church who participate in any way in the Welfare Services program. From one of our associates who who is deeply involved in helping people, we learn of what happens when the Church steps in to help. About 12 years ago, Roger walked in the side door of Welfare Square. It took him at least 15 minutes to tell the supervisors who he was and where he came from. Although he was a grown young man of 18 years, he had great difficulty expressing himself. Part of his young life had been spent in an institution in a neighboring state. Now, at the age of 18, he was on his own. This young man lived for some time alone in the mountains. Finally, he got a ride into Salt Lake City. He could neither read nor write, and his speech was nearly impossible. The Brethren at Welfare Square found Roger a place to stay. Soon he had a bishop and gradually became active in the Church. Fellow workers at Welfare Square helped him to learn to speak so that he could communicate. He still has great difficulty, but his friends and associates can, with a little patience, converse with him reasonably well. He worked in several different jobs at the storehouse and today is an active elder in the Church. Roger now has a job in a large commercial enterprise and and at the present time is totally self-sufficient. Roger met Janie at Welfare Square. Let me tell you about Janie. Janie had been born with cerebral palsy. She was badly crippled, but she had been able to attend school and recently had graduated from high school. This was a tremendous accomplishment, but now, after several months of searching, her family had found it impossible to obtain employment for her. Her bishop asked if there was was something Janie could do. She needed to keep busy. In answer to the challenge, the storehouse keeper suggested that Janie be brought to the storehouse the next morning. After Janie had been at work seven hours, her mother came to take her home. Janie was smiling with pride. She had labeled a dozen cans. 
There was a pile of spoiled labels on the floor, but they weren't important. The important thing was her smile. It was there because she felt useful and had pride in her accomplishment. She was willing and anxious to return the next day and continue trying. Within a month's time, Janie was doing a good job of labeling cans. She hardly wasted any labels. As her skill in using her hands increased, she was given greater challenges. At the end of three years, she was assigned the delicate job of packing eggs after they had been candled. Janie and her family were truly happy because she had learned through the welfare program to be a contributing member of society. Roger and Janie fell in love with each other and were married in the Salt Lake Temple for time and all eternity. Last year, the work opportunities amounting to 1,480,000 hours were made available to the Rogers and the Janies. The wonderful Sisters of the Relief Society donated in excess of 2 million hours in aiding the ill and the aged. They gave compassionate service to 15,000 families at the time of lost, uh, uh, losing a loved one and death. Members of the Church contributed almost 2 million hours to welfare projects, bishops' storehouses, and so forth. And the Church dispersed over $17 million in cash and commodities to take care of those in need. All of this was done through the Welfare Services Program of the Church. This was accomplished through the regularly constituted ecclesiastical organization of the Church. There is no separate organization to manage welfare. It is an integral part of the Church and has been from the beginning. To reemphasize its purpose and objective, I shall read a statement from the First Presidency given in 1936. Our primary purpose was to set up insofar as it might be possible, a system under which the curse of idleness would be done away with, the evils of the dole abolished, and independence, industry, thrift, and self-respect be once more established amongst our people. The aim of the Church is to help the people to help themselves. Work is to be re-enthroned as the principal guiding uh, principle, as the ruling principle in the lives of our Church members. These lofty goals still remain as the motivating force of all who are involved in this great work. And now, with the approval of the First Presidency, the temporal or financial, health and social services functions are brought together in the Welfare Services Organization of the Church, concerned with the well-being of the whole man. I bear my humble witness that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that He reigns at the head of this Church and speaks through a living prophet, Harold B. Lee. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And Isaac builded an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord. And he pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants digged a well. Altar, tent, and well. Isaac did not become an Abraham or a Jacob. He did not reach the heights of Abraham called the father of the faithful, nor was he as impress impressive as his son Israel, father of the twelve tribes. Yet Isaac is loved and revered. He worshipped God, cared for his home, and pursued his work. He is remembered simply as a man of peace. 
the eloquent simplicity of his life and his unique ability to lend importance to the commonplace made him great. Altar, tent, and well. His worship, his home, his work. These basic things of life signified his relationship to God, his family, and his fellow men. Every person on earth is touched by these three. Isaac worshipped at an altar of stone. He sought their answers to life's questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? These questions every man asks. These questions continue with us. Biblical scriptures alone cannot answer these questions. Revealed religion, however, gives clear and solid answers. The fullness of the gospel declares we lived with our Heavenly Father in a celestial home before this world began. We learned, progressed, and grew. We yearned to come to this life where we could receive a physical body. After resurrection, we shall return to our Father's presence, united in an eternal family. All this through obedience to the principles and ordinances of the restored gospel. We know by revelation that our Father lives. Jesus is his firstborn in the spirit world, the only begotten in the flesh. He is the Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. His work and glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. We know he lives, for he has appeared to men in our day to establish this latter-day work. There are living prophets and apostles on the earth today, called by God and ordained to carry out his divine purposes. His chosen prophet is President Harold B. Lee. Thank the Lord for modern revelation that gives solid answers to life's important questions in which we find peace. To know the word and works of God, Isaac knelt in his day at his altar. His tent, a home for himself and family, was sacred to him like our homes are to us. To Latter-day Saints, the home is a holy place, patterned after the, the celestial home from whence we came. The priesthood-led home is the loftiest spiritual unit we know. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a family church. In its missionary work, we seek to bring families into the church. It teaches the principles and performs ordinances that unite the family for eternity. Indeed, we may say that a prime purpose of this church is to perfect and exalt the family. There is widespread misunderstanding today concerning the role of father and mother and children. The Prophet Joseph Smith explained that the destiny of the family is to live together as a family unit in the celestial glory. To understand their proper roles, one must understand the eternal nature of man's life, his premortal existence, life's purpose now, and his future destiny. Our religion comprehends this and more. The man is the head of the home. He is to preside and administer its affairs by persuasion, by long-suffering, by gentleness and meekness 
and by love unfeigned, by kindness and pure knowledge. The woman is the heart of the home. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make an helpmeet for him, and they twain shall be one flesh. President J. Reuben Clark, Jr., one of the Lord's noble servants, has defined woman's role in eternal perspective. Speaking of Eve, he speaks of all women. So Eve came and helped me to the priesthood mission of Adam. Eve, the last created being in the world, Adam took her in her purity, radiant and divinely fair, into the garden he had dressed and kept for her, into the bridal home he had built into the garden that from then till now has been a symbol of heaven on earth, there to begin together their earthly life that was finally to bring opportunity to the untold myriads of spirits. Then waiting for the mortal tabernacles, these two were to make it possible for them to possess. So Eve came to be a creator of bodies that God's design and the great plan might meet fruition. This was her calling from that day. The greatest glory of true womanhood has ever been motherhood. What a miracle is motherhood! How nearly infinite is mother! She fashions in her womb the most complex structure known to man. This is the wife's and mother's task and opportunity. And did she fail? Then the great plan would fail, and God's purposes would come to naught. This must never change. But the full glory of motherhood is not yet reached when her child comes forth into this world of trial. She feeds not only but clothes it. She cares for it by day and watches over it by night. She gently leads its faltering steps till it walks alone. Thus, to the full stature of manhood and womanhood, mother guides, instructs, directs the soul for which she built the earthly home in its march onward to exaltation. God gives the soul its destiny, but mother leads it along the way. When the soul shall return to the presence of the Father of all, the worthy mothers will be there to welcome their worthy children. Wives and mothers do what men cannot do. Men will bow in reverence and in love before mothers who perform this great, this marvelous service. Contrast this view of woman with the current prattle that demeans motherhood and her exalted role, that even condones abortion and its attendant evils, that sets aside the role God gave to her. It would be hard to imagine a more exalted role of woman and her place in the eternal plan than is held and taught in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We invite you to consider this carefully, for it comes from God. Parental responsibility cannot go unheeded, nor can it be shifted to daycare centers, nor to the schoolroom, nor even to the church. Family responsibility comes by divine decree. Parents may violate this decree only at the peril of their eternal salvation. 
Only out of this purposeful, divine relationship of parent and child grows eternal joy and fulfillment. President Harold B. Lee has said, The most important work you will ever do for the Church will be within the walls of your own home. To the child, God said at the great day of law-giving at Sinai, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Kneeling at his altar, mindful of his family in his tent, most of Isaac's working hours were consumed in watching over wells he had caused to be digged. His flocks were nourished by them. His simple dependence upon the water and the soil and the forage that grew is little different in our day. For man must work. The revelations say that every man who is obliged to provide for his own family, let him provide. In the, in the beginning the Lord decreed, In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread. Ever since the Restoration in 1830, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has encouraged thrift and fostered work as the ruling principle among its members. Few evils has the Lord denounced in our day with more vehemence than idleness. Thou shalt not be idle, for he that is idle shall not eat the bread nor wear the garments of the laborer. The idler shall be had in remembrance before the Lord, and the idler shall not have place in the church, except he repent and mend his ways. Let a man choose an occupation in balance with the other two elements of the triumvirate of which I have spoken. Learn to give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. In the farm or shop or office, let that man know that while at work it is not an end in itself, but a means to a noble end. How little things have changed since Isaac's day, the things that really matter. There is the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same family roles to fill, the same need to work, altar, tent, and well. These things are essential. Placed in proper perspective by God's revealed word, they provide at once our greatest challenge and achievement. Our Heavenly Father, wilt thou help us, thy children, to see eternity in these things and act accordingly in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the most striking prophecies of the Old Testament, which certainly characterizes our day and which was just referred to by President Lee, is this one spoken by Amos. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. 
Famine was one of the common scourges of the Old Testament times, and people understood the devastating consequences of crop failure and starving people. Amos brought this understanding into sharp focus by his prediction of a spiritual famine. He said, Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Long before this time Moses had written, Man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Present-day reports of confusion and frustration of individuals and religious institutions as they attempt to resolve their religious doubts and conflicts remind us of these words of Amos. They shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. They seek to find the solution without building on the rock of revelation as the Lord said it must be done if the gates of hell are not to prevail against it. This problem has engaged the minds of good and sincere men before and since the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this dispensation. In the year 1838, 134 years ago, and only eight years after the organization of the Church, Ralph Waldo Emerson delivered an address before the senior class of the Divinity School at Harvard University. In it he asked questions which were then unanswered and are unanswered for many individuals of our time. He said this, And it is my duty to say to you that the need was never greater for new revelation than now. In how many churches and by how many prophets, tell me, is man made sensible that he is an infinite soul? It is the office of a true teacher to show that God is, not was, that he speaketh, not spake. Men have come to speak of revelations as something long ago given and done, as if God were dead. That's an interesting statement to have been made nearly a century and a half ago. It has the sound of an echo from some of today's modern pulpits. Then he added, The need was never greater for new revelation than now. Over a hundred years later, the educator, Dr. Robert Gordon Sproul, described this condition in modern Christian churches in these words. We have the peculiar spectacle of a nation which to a limited extent practices Christianity without actively believing in Christianity. We are asked to turn to the Church for enlightenment, but when we do, we find that the voice of the Church is not inspired. The voice of the Church today is the echo of our own voices. The way out is the sound of a voice, not our voice. It is the task of the pastors to hear this voice, cause us to hear it, and tell us what it says. Without it, we are no more capable of saving the earth than we were capable of creating it in the first place. Lewis, Cass Lewis Castles, a senior editor of United Press International, 
recently remarked that public interest in religion has declined because people are sick and tired of being told what they can't believe. They want to know what, if anything, they can believe. He said many churches haven't been doing a very good job of answering that question. He ended with the warning that if you persist in handing out stones, when people ask for bread, they'll finally quit coming to the bakery. The Gallup poll revealed in early 1967 that the majority of Americans, 57 percent, say religion is losing its influence on American life. Ten years previously, the proportion holding this view was only 14 percent, only one-fourth as large. This represents, said poll taker George Gallup, one of the most dramatic shifts in surveys on American life. Surely we would agree that in the five years since that survey was made, there has been further deterioration. In the year 1820, just prior to the time Ralph Waldo Emerson made his statement to the Harvard Divinity School that the need was never greater for new revelation than now, the prophet Joseph Smith went into a grove of trees near his home and inquired of God which church he should join. The same confusion existed in his mind which exists in the minds of countless millions today. But the answer given, by, uh, given him by the Lord takes away the uncertainty, for he said that all their, abomination, that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight. They draw near to me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They teach for doctrines the commandments of men, having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. For the world generally, this condition has not changed. After the long period of apostasy from the true Church, established by Christ during his personal ministry, a sure foundation for the kingdom of God was laid through the restoration of the priesthood and the gospel by the principles of divine revelation in this dispensation of time. The priesthood, authority to act in the name of God, was restored through visits of John the Baptist and Peter, James, and John, who held its keys during the Savior's sojourn on earth. Other messengers, mighty prophets and leaders, including Elias, Elijah, and Moses, appeared and restored the essential keys of the kingdom. The Book of Mormon, a new witness for Jesus Christ, was revealed through the angel Moroni. Revelation followed revelation, as recorded in the, in the Doctrine and Covenants. The foundation was laid for the organization which would govern the kingdom of God even until it should cover the whole earth. In a little over 140 years, a miracle has been achieved as the priesthood has administered the restored gospel. Temples have been erected on this continent and other places in the world. Houses of worship dot many lands of the globe. A desert has been made to bloom as a rose. Over 16,000 missionaries are proclaiming the gospel in many lands. Elementary schools, high schools, seminaries, institutes of religion, and colleges in many countries 
give instruction to more than a quarter of a million young people daily, not only in the elements of secular learning, but in the eternal truths of the gospel. Most important is the fact that down through its history, including this very day, the Church has had a prophet, seer, and revelator. At the head of the Church is Jesus Christ who directs his prophet, presently Harold B. Lee, who just addressed us. His counselors, the members of the Council of the Twelve and the Patriarch to the Church, are also prophets, seers, and revelators. The more than three million members of the Church do not have to listen to an uncertain trumpet. They can believe the voice of their leaders, knowing they are guided by the Lord. The Church of Jesus Christ provides maximum involvement of its members, from early youth to the last years of life. Satisfying and meaningful activity and responsibility are available to all who are worthy and willing. This promotes the deep satisfaction and emotional well-being which the gospel of Jesus Christ should bring into every human life. Youth is trained from its earliest age uh, to take uh, part in, in uh, primary and Sunday school. At twelve years, worthy young men receive the Aaronic priesthood and, in a sense, begin an apprenticeship which prepares them for the many roles of leadership they will assume throughout their lifetime. There is no more powerful principle of life to promote love, forbearance, and devotion in the home than that of eternal marriage. Good adjustment and performance in adult life depend largely on the quality of home life. The principle of eternal marriage is a most powerful, stabilizing influence in promoting the kind of home needed to rear children who are happy and well-adjusted. No Church lays greater emphasis on producing a close, cohesive family life. What a contrast to the declarations that God is dead. There is no believable voice. The future is blank, as expressed by religious leaders, educators, and columnists. The confusion and frustrations from which the world is suffering are not common to the faithful members of the Church. The proof is provided by the loyalty and dedication of its members for nearly a century and a half. That loyalty and dedication is not diminishing, it is increasing. Hundreds are going daily from the darkness and uncertainty of unbelief and disbelief into the eternal life of the gospel having faith, complying with the law of repentance, and accepting of baptism. Their lives are made bright and luminous by the gift of the Holy Ghost, and their souls are lifted up by their service to God and man. There is hope. God does live. And there is a believable voice to those who have faith and the will to believe. Certainly we live in a day of famine, as described by Amos, when they shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. Nevertheless, 
In what appears to be a spiritual famine, there are many who have found a spiritual abundance. It is my witness that God lives, and Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the, of the world. These few words I have spoken are a portrayal of my humble testimony that the gospel in its fullness have been restored in these latter days, and that there is a prophet on the earth today who speaks the mind and will of the Lord to those who will hear and have the faith to follow, that we may do so, I humbly pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.